I am all for paying to market to new customers, but I'll never be able to wrap my mind around paying for our own diners. Why should we have to pay cover fees? It's like getting penalized for being busy. That's why I'm a huge fan of Yelp Guest Manager. It's a reservation and waitlist system connected to a diner network nine times larger than Open Table, and they never charge cover fees. Learn about their new $99 per month plan for newly opened restaurants at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast or call 877-571-9357 and tell them full comp sent you. Now here we go. As a restaurant owner, if you have not pursued the employee retention credit, you need to really block out two hours to getting that done and getting the analysis done for your company. Dollar for dollar, that's the biggest ROI activity that any restaurant owner can do right now if you haven't taken advantage of the program because it's based on headcount. If you have a decent sized headcount, it could be a really big shot in the arm of cash for your business. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry. Featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. You could be sitting on a winning lottery ticket and not even know it. I'm talking about the employee retention credit. And I've personally witnessed fellow restaurateurs receive six-digit checks by taking advantage of this extraordinary opportunity. As I'm sure you can imagine, I lack the expertise to discuss the ins and the outs of the program, but I know someone who can. Her name is Katherine Tyndall, and her company, Dominion Enterprise Solutions, specializes in helping restaurants get the most money from the credit with the least amount of effort. I hope you came hungry, because our old Uncle Sam is dishing out some bread today. I always use analogies, right? So a bookkeeper is like your mom who knows first aid. A CPA is like your general practitioner who's going to be able to give you antibiotics. And so for a lot of people and a lot of things that are going on in their business in the day to day, it's your mom with the first aid is going to be there with band-aids. And that's basically all you're going to need, you know, those little reports, things like that. When it comes to making some of those bigger decisions or just really strategizing around what's going on in your business. A CPA can be much more helpful because they do have a lot more professional experience and training than a bookkeeper does. And that lends itself to really being able to do some substantial financial analysis, which a lot of big decisions usually should involve that. And so let's talk about that. So I would say that a CPA can do everything that a bookkeeper can do, but a bookkeeper cannot do everything that a CPA can do. Yeah, I would say that's fair. And I would say the other distinction is there are things that a CPA, you know, I can do anything that a bookkeeper can do, but do you want to pay your doctor to put on Band-Aids? That's kind of the analogy. And I think for a lot of people, they try to get their CPA to do things that are a little too menial rather than just having somebody like a bookkeeper or having other people in place to handle certain parts of what's going on financially. Because the thing with accounting is it's a very broad field and there's a lot of pieces to it. And somebody like me, who's like a tax specialist, to have me do things that a bookkeeper can do doesn't make sense a lot of the time. But it's some of those critical decisions. You want to have that person in your corner when you're going to do something that's going to make big changes. And what was your path to entrepreneurship? What problem did you feel like you were solving when you created Dominion? So for me, when I was in school, I originally started off in medicine, which it's funny I use that analogy, but because I really wanted what I was doing to be something that 
on the daily, I was changing people's lives and helping them. And the sense of I wanted to be helping people as my profession. And then as I went farther into it, I realized that it wasn't going to be a good fit for a number of reasons. But my parents were both CPAs and had a tax practice and they told me to take an accounting course. And so you can see where that ended up. (laughs) I really enjoyed it. And I found the special thing with accounting is I really enjoy the numbers. I enjoy the logic of it. And I really enjoy the fact that people are so intimidated by it and they feel so out of control with it and that I'm able to bridge that gap for them and use the knowledge that I have to make it intelligible. And also, especially with like the tax side of things, because I'm primarily a tax planner and tax specialist, people are so intimidated by taxes and it's so expensive and painful to be able to bridge that gap and help them understand how it works, help them reduce how much they're paying in a way that really does move the needle for their business. I find it extremely satisfying. And what pushed me to start my own firm is just my experiences in my industry were that there's not a lot of thought leadership that comes from accountants. They tend to be very in-the-box thinkers, very backwards-looking, historically-oriented, just trying to be compliance-oriented. And so I found what I really wanted to do was things that were going to really help business owners. And so I found that I needed to start my own firm to really structure the relationships in a way that we're not just filling forms out for people, that we're actually doing things that advance their business forward, advance their personal life forward through being able to save them cash with tax reduction strategies. So that was the path there. And the gap that you're talking about bridging specifically, I believe, is that gap between yesterday's numbers and how that influences decisions today and tomorrow, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's kind of three pieces that go into what people do in their business, right? It's like you try to increase your top line through doing things like marketing and advertising and things like that. You try to decrease your bottom line by reducing expenses. And then the third piece of it, which I think a lot of people just don't really think about is now it's everything's going to flow through the tax funnel and you're going to pay tax. And so doing things to optimize how your income's flowing through the tax funnel to make sure you're not paying too much in tax. And so for my firm, like we really emphasize that third piece, you know, we're a tax planning firm mostly. And so that's the piece that a lot of people just never get around to doing because they just wait until the end of the year to talk to their accountant or their accountant is just concerned with making sure they're compliant with the IRS rather than finding efficiencies in how they operate to lower how much they pay. And when you reached out, you had particular interest in connecting with independent restaurant owners and operators. Why choose that niche? Is it because we're so easy to work with? Well, I would say for us in the firm, our main thing that we're up to right now is we've become a specialty practice for doing the employee retention credit. And I do these for all sorts of industries, but in particular, I was seeing that the restaurant and especially like independent operators are just largely missing out on this credit. And it's because they fall in that weird zone of their tax practitioner is probably really small, isn't able to handle a lot more than just filing their returns. And so I've been coming across a lot of these kinds of clients where their accountant just dropped the ball and going after this credit for them. And especially for restaurant owners where You guys were so impacted by the pandemic. It was insane. They have this opportunity. A lot of the clients I've been seeing, it's a six-figure tax credit, which is like a six-figure check that comes back in the mail that their accountant just totally dropped the ball on. So I thought we would be a good connection because if I can just get one person to reach out to their accountant or be able to take advantage of this credit, I feel like I'll have accomplished something because it really does move the needle for restaurant owners, unlike any other industry that I've been working with for this credit. 
I want to talk about tax strategy at large, because in the abstract, I don't know how many of us know what that actually means. I mean, typically, tax planning starts January 1st for a payment in April, and we're talking about last year's taxes. Yeah, yeah. But you guys start and you say, all right, this is where we are today. And you're focusing on the next year and the next year. What tax planning strategies do you guys use to help mitigate the tax implications for, let's just say, independent restaurant owners and operators? Yeah, I would say the first strategy is you have to be proactive with it, right? And so you think about how taxes work. As you earn money, you're incurring a tax bill because its profits are going to flow through that tax funnel and you're now paying taxes on it. And so if you just wait until the end of the year to do anything, that money's already flown through that funnel. And so there's really not much you can do to get it back through that funnel. And so that's why for a lot of people, it's in January, February, they figure out what their tax bill was from the previous year, and they're kind of always in this game of catch up. And so what we do in the firm for our tax planning clients is we start with an onboarding, which is really, we need to look forward. So where is your business going? And we need to understand what you're trying to achieve strategically with your business to make sure that it's going to go through the tax funnel the most efficiently ways as possible for what your plan is, right? Because if somebody is going to grow to sell, that's a very different kind of strategy than if somebody is going to grow to hand it off to a kid, if they know they're just going to be operating the business for 20 years, if they know they're going to start spidering out and getting a bunch of different businesses, or they want to pivot into franchising or licensing. Those are very different end games from an operations standpoint, and they're very different end games from a tax planning standpoint. And so that's the place we started. So what are you going to be doing? Because in order for us to get you to go through the tax funnel efficiently, we really have to understand what's going on with you. And by overlaying a deep understanding of what's going on in the business to, okay, how does the tax code work and how can we make this the most efficient path through the tax funnel for what you're trying to do? That's the process. And then just kind of in general, like the big pieces of it, the first thing we always go after is tax credits because it's a dollar for dollar thing. Usually once you start those programs, they go year after year. So there's different payroll tax credits. There's just other incentives that are out there that are just easy wins for the client and usually some instant cash injection. So we start with those because those are easy wins. But then the next piece is really entity structure, because if you can move the needle percentage points, say you're getting taxed at 40% effectively and we can bump that down to 25%, 30%, that's a huge swing for a matter of just shifting or, you know, forming some entities, closing some entities, doing some elections, filing some paperwork. You can kind of get that stuff wrapped up in a month and that can move you whole percentage points. So that's the first piece that we really analyze is what's going on with your entities. And I would say for most people, if you structured your business more than five years ago, or you've experienced some really significant growth, that's something that you want to have an ongoing analysis done for because It's not one of those things you want to set it and forget it, right? Because if all of your work is just getting pushed through this really inefficient funnel, you're losing percentage points. And it's like you're working, say, if it's 15% more that you're paying, how many months out of the year working for the government that, you know, it could have gone to you just for the sake of filing some forms, right? So that's the first place that we start. And then it just goes into, you know, maximizing deductions and making sure that people are able to be as efficient as possible with the things that they're already spending money on. So if you're paying family members, paying for health benefits, doing retirement, all those kinds of things, but those are kind of after the fact and it all has to be in the frame of, okay, well, what's the strategy? What are you trying to do as a business and how do we get you there the most efficiently? 
So for the folks listening that are going, is this me? Am I one of these people with an issue? What are some of the red flags? What are some of the common mistakes that you see people making when they come to you? At least the most common mistake that I see on the credit side is people not taking advantage of the employee retention credit. So if you haven't had that one, you need to have an analysis done for that. But besides that, just for regular tax planning issues, first one's entity structure. So I'd say for most people, if you're netting over 100K a year on your business and you're not operating out of an entity, that usually around like 100, 150, that's the point where you want to, and that's your net. That's what your profit is at the end of the year. That's when you want to start having that kind of conversation of, okay, do I need to change my entity structure or is it okay? That's a mistake I see people make. Another common mistake I see people make is they don't get their legal structures set up right on the front end for liability purposes. So people will just operate under their own name instead of being in something like an LLC where you're going to have some separation of legal liability. So I see that as a common mistake people make as well. And just other things of not buttoning up their compliance work on the front end, like paying people under the table, things like that, that you just want to get systems in place so that you're not doing those things. But Those are the most common mistakes I see people make on the front end in the restaurant industry. There was like this alphabet soup-esque thing that the federal government did when the pandemic hit, where it was just rolling out program after program (laughs) after program. (laughs) And I know that there's massive opportunity for the employee retention credit, and we're going to dig really deep into it. But I'm wondering what other programs, what other opportunities did the pandemic present? So most of them now are wrapped up. People got to take advantage of things like the payroll protection program, multiple rounds of that, a lot of restaurant grants. And there were also like state and local aid that came out. And it was just really tough, I think, for everybody because you had all these programs coming out. There was not really any guidance for people like me, like tax practitioners to know how things were going to work. And it just turned into like a crazy money grab. So A lot of those programs people were able to take advantage of. I think the one nice thing is the employee retention credit is still one because it's a tax credit. It's baked into the code. And so it's not like the PPP where it's a fund that gets exhausted. And so if you didn't take advantage of it, you still can because we have a three-year window for it. And the other thing, too, that's nice with it is if you didn't get to take advantage of a lot of those other programs, it does help increase that credit. Because one of the things that happens is if you got PPP or if you got these other programs, it'll reduce your employee retention credit. But if you missed out on those programs, it's not like you've completely missed out. But yeah, the alphabet soup, that's a good way of putting it because it was just, they were coming from all directions, all sorts of different agencies, state and local and federal, like it was just nuts. (laughs) Let's get into the employee retention credit specifically. So for those that don't know, can you explain what it is? Yeah, so it's a payroll tax credit. It's a reimbursement to employers who experienced hardship during the pandemic. So if your company, and especially restaurant owners, you had operations limited by government orders or you had revenue discrepancies, so it's not just year-over-year revenue declines, but just uneven revenues, you could be eligible for the credit. I have not had a restaurant come to me who wasn't eligible for it just because of the factors of what happened during the pandemic, because almost everybody had some kind of operational impact through the government orders. And that's one of the qualifying factors. So it's up to $26,000 per employee. So you can imagine if you have a good headcount in your operation above 10 people, it can end up being a really substantial credit. So I've seen restaurant owners anywhere. It just really depends on your headcount. But even on the smaller scale, people with like 15 employees getting a quarter of a million dollars 
back and it's checks that come back in the mail. So it's not like it's credited towards future years or something like that. It's really a reimbursement of the money that you paid in 20 and 21. And it's still available. It's going to start phasing out in about a year from now, but it's still available even though it's related to tax years 20 and 2021. I want some of that. How difficult is it to get? (laughs) You just have to work with a practitioner for it. So it's one of those things where really the decision point is knowing who the right person is to work with for it. A lot of people have tried to work with their payroll providers for it. I don't recommend that just because my experience with payroll providers is they have a hard enough time just doing regular payroll right, not administering a tax credit program that is basically we've just been given legislation and then you're required to kind of hand calculate it on your own. So a lot of the cases I've seen with payroll providers, they've been underclaiming. And then on the opposite side of things, I see people trying to work with their regular CPA to do it. And a lot of the regular CPAs, they just don't handle a high volume of them. And because they are complex, because they interact with things like your payroll protection program loans that you got and any other grants and aid that you got, they all interact with each other. It's something that I recommend people work with a specialty provider. My firm is a specialty provider and we do them for other CPA firms just because it's become our specialty. But those are in general, the people that you can work with for it. There's also, I should warn, there's a lot of bad actors in the space right now because we've got an information gap between people filing these claims and then the IRS kind of coming back because the IRS is still so behind from what happened during the pandemic. So a couple days ago, I was reading an article, one of the bigger players in the space for doing these credits got raided by the IRS. <laughs> so, oh my God. Yeah. So it's one of those things where you just want to work with somebody that's a licensed CPA firm. They do a good amount of them because it's big dollar figures. You know, Like I said, I've got several restaurants where they've got a quarter of a million dollars back. And so when it's that much money on the line, I joke with people, it's like Botox, right? You're paying for the placement. You're not just paying for the Botox. <laughs> right. And that's the thing with the credit is when, when you work with somebody reputable, it's it's an easy process for you because it's really just once we get the reports, it's just a matter of us doing the calculations and then having everything buttoned up for what the IRS wants to see. Prior to the pandemic, I could barely use my iPhone. I'm a restaurateur, not a tech guru. But over the last two years, we've seen that tech can play a vital role in helping us make more money and save money. And that tech can show up in some pretty unlikely places, like your kitchen sink. Dawn Professional is a detergent and degreaser that can help reduce your labor expense and your overhead on cleaning supplies through leveraging the latest technological innovation in cleaning products. Dawn Professional Multi-Service Heavy Duty Degreaser is specifically formulated to cut grease two times faster versus the leading food service degreasers. While Dawn Professional Manual Pot and Pan Dish Detergent cleans 58% more pots and pans per sink, reducing sink changeover versus the leading competitor's professional dish soap. Save time and money by upgrading to Dawn Professional Manual Pot and Pan Dish Detergent and Dawn Professional Multi-Service Heavy-Duty Degreaser from PNG Professional. How do you suss out between someone that is suspect and someone that's working in the space with integrity? I would say for the most part, the biggest red flag is if they're a CPA firm or not. There's a lot of people out there that are just marketers for this, and then they pass the work off to small CPAs, or they're working with people that aren't. So like, I had a case come across my desk from somebody where the person who was actually doing the filing was a real estate attorney. They weren't a tax professional. So I think that becomes a big red flag. I would say the other red flag is if they're charging contingent fees. 
So as a CPA firm, we're not allowed to charge a contingency fee. And so if you encounter a a person doing these credits and they say, oh, well, we're going to charge you 25% of the credit, that's a red flag. For the most part, the other practitioners in the space that I see, the range isn't contingent, but the fee tends to be between 10 to 15% of what the credit is. And so if you see somebody that's kind of outside that range or they're like just salesy, if you feel that salesy thing going on and it's not really a tax practitioner where they're asking you a lot of questions too, because there's a lot of things to interact. So if they're not asking you a lot of questions, they're like, oh yeah, we'll get you your credit. Just send us these two reports and you're going to be eligible for half a million dollars. Like it's kind of fishy, right? Versus, okay, we're going to need some payroll reports. We're going to need some financial reports, asking you detailed questions about your company ownership. You'll get that feel, right? If you're (laughs) being sold versus, okay, this is an actual tax professional that knows what they're doing. I think the other thing, too, that I see people doing wrong is like anybody can have a website. Anybody can have a really convincing marketing copy and like really flashy stuff. And also testimonials that say like we've filed so many claims, but it comes down to like who's actually doing the work? Who owns the company? Like how long have these guys been around? Are they going to be gone when the IRS comes back maybe? Or what's the feel on this? And I'd say for the most part, if you already have a tax professional and they can't handle it, it's like loop them into the conversation, right? They know how taxes work. They'll know if something feels wrong because they can talk shop to the other company that's doing it. And so I think lean on your tax pro to say, hey, can you be in this conversation with me and these people for this credit? Because that tax pro is going to have a good spidey sense of like, no, this feels off. This is very salesy versus, oh no, this is like another CPA firm. And when we get into the weeds and talk shop, they pass muster. So I think that's the advice that I would give people in general. And for context, what does your specific process look like? When somebody reaches out and they want help, how do you help? What does that process look like? Yeah. So we start off with just a conversation. I like to make sure that the person that we're working with understands just the general program of how the credit works. And they don't have any confusion about what they could be pursuing because there are some interactions that happen with things like your income taxes. So we go through all of that. And then in general, we collect the reports. We do an assessment to see, okay, do you meet the eligibility requirements with flying colors? And then if you do, then how much roughly are you eligible for? And that's just something we do on the front end of you know the engagement. And then once we know roughly what they're eligible for, we say, okay, so this would be our fee. If you want us to do the work and actually file the claim and track it with the IRS, here's how the cash flow would work of it. Does it make sense for you? That's how we approach it. And once we've got all the reports and the client wants to engage with us, we then finish the calculations, file the claim with the IRS, and then we track it with the IRS. And that's our basic process. So usually for people, it only takes, there's those initial conversations, but then maybe it's a couple hours an hour or two getting those reports together that we need to really get that precise calculation done. And that's it, you know, and it can be a couple hours of work for 250K. Like that's a pretty good, (laughs) that's pretty good ROI for anybody. But that's what we've seen for the restaurant owners. Like they tend to get really high credit amounts for this. What are the eligibility requirements? So there's two ways a company can be eligible. The first way is that if you have certain revenue declines, it's different rules for the different years. So I just tell people, rule of thumb is if you have more than five employees and you experience discrepancies, so your quarters are uneven, get yourself analyzed because it's such high potential, high dollar volumes on the table 
that it's just worth it to have yourself formally assessed on that. So you can either have revenue declines, and that's one way you can be eligible, or if you had government orders that force you to modify your operations, that's the other piece of it. So for restaurants, very common, had to reduce capacity. And it's usually state orders or local orders that orders that make you have to change your operations that way, that it's more than a 10% effect on your business, the period for which that was going on, you'll be eligible for. So if you're in a state that was really, really restrictive during COVID, like California, Massachusetts, New York, where it was, yeah, we weren't allowed to operate at full capacity for the whole year, then you would be eligible for the whole year because it's a government order. So those are the two ways that companies can be eligible. And it's an either or test. And so some quarters it'll be, yeah, we had government orders, other quarters, then you have the revenue issues. And so you can end up being eligible through the whole duration of the pandemic for a mix of those. And that's part of the analysis that we do on the front end. You know, I think one of the things that holds independent restaurateurs back from participating in things like this is the fear of an audit. Mm, True. I should mention too, part of what we do is our process is included in our engagement is that we'll support the client through the audit at no additional expense. Just because I've been through them, I know how they go. The auditor comes in, they see the kind of paperwork that we have, they see the credentials, we have a conversation with them, and they open and close the case because it's just, that's the level to which we keep our documentation. And that's really the name of the game, right? It's when you're vetting out practitioners, it's for that purpose, right? It's like, I want the worst case scenario to be the auditor, like we get a notice from the IRS and then they have to write a letter. That's going to be the worst thing that happens. Yeah. And that's why working with somebody who's really oriented around like, okay, how are we going to get through compliance? Because that's really the problem. It's not getting the money back. It's the making sure that the IRS isn't going to come back later. So I would say for most restaurants, they've passed with flying colors because the government orders were so restrictive and just the way the credit's written that I'm never really concerned for the restaurant owners with having audit issues just because it's so easy to document. Yeah, there's a government order from my governor that we were at 45% capacity or 75% capacity. And, you know, just here it is. This is what it was. And then that's just how the credit is written. So there's really no risk for the restaurant tours as long as you have your documentation in order, which is you work with a good practitioner, you're going to have that. So I would say it's good to be concerned about it, but it's, if you work with somebody reputable, it's not going to be a problem. In the years that are covered are 2020, 2021, and 2022? No, just 2020 and 2021, but we're able to go backwards and get it. So it's still going to be open for another year. So if you missed out on it for 20 and 21, we can still file those returns and go back and get it, which is great. How quickly from like first phone call is it to getting the check in the mail typically? So that's the problem with the IRS right now is they're still really messed up. It's a very manual process on their end. So when we file the actual returns, we have to literally mail them to the IRS. (laughs) So they're really behind. So for us, once we get all the documentation in place, we get claims turned around in under two weeks, but then it goes to the IRS and sits with them. So previously they were projecting that it was nine to 12 months. Last time I talked to somebody They've reallocated personnel over to that department now. And so it's looking more like five months, but it just depends on the size of the credit because ones that are of a certain size have to have a second set of eyes on them from the IRS standpoint. So I'd say for most people, it's about a five month wait. I want to talk high level about tax planning because I think that 
what this tax credit represents is just a massive missed opportunity. And you don't know what you don't know. Talk to me about tax planning in general and why you believe that it's one of the highest return on investment activities that you can spend your time on as an entrepreneur. I'd say the biggest reason why it's a high ROI activity is it doesn't actually take that much time. As long as you're intentional about doing it, it's maybe a couple hours out of the year that you actually do it. But like I said earlier, by having things like an efficient entity structure, you move the needle percentage points. And so when you think about it, spending a couple hours each quarter with your CPA going through, okay, how am I paying myself? How am I taking my distributions? How am I contributing to my retirement? Do we need to break off the separate business into a different entity? Those kinds of questions and checking in and actually asking for that level of an analysis to be done, you know, it can really move the needle. And especially if you haven't done any planning, getting into that practice is going to be really helpful. And I'd say the action item for how you actually do that, because it's not going to be you doing it, right? It's going to be the tax person that you're working with that's going to help you with it, is to just when you engage with somebody for tax services, don't just say, okay, I need my taxes done, because then all they'll do is just fill out the forms for you. Really how you want to approach that professional is to say, I need tax planning done and I need my taxes done. I'm going to need a minimum of four meetings during the year where we're doing planning conversations and you're running forecasts for me. That's the service that you want to ask for. Because I think for a lot of people, they think, oh, I'm working with a tax pro. Like they're going to do the planning and that's just part of what they do. And I think a lot of people don't realize like, no, if you've just asked them to do your taxes, that is literally all they're going to do is just do your taxes because that's what you've asked for. Right. And so I think by asking for more, you'll get more. And I'd say for most people, if you're not paying at least 10 grand a year on tax planning work and that level of activity going on, you're definitely not getting it, <laughs> you know, because it's asking them to do basically a quadrupled, if not more of the work that they're doing just to file returns, to run projections for you, to run calculations for you, and to really be the quarterback of making sure that you're operating efficiently. Like that's a lot more work. And so if you're just paying a couple hundred bucks to get a tax return done, you're not getting any planning work done. And I'd say just on the ROI piece of it, you know, if you're not doing any planning and you're paying like 40% effectively between social security taxes and income taxes and state taxes, you know, well, it could be well over 40%. You're working half the year for the government, right? <laughs> it's like right now we're recording this. It's the end of May. You listening to this, you've been working for the government the, <laughs> the last, you know, five months. And so by just taking a couple hours to engage with somebody and say, hey, should I be an S corp or like, should my catering business be like a C corp? How should we have this actually set up? Or like, should I buy my building? Those kinds of things. You know, maybe you could have only been working for the government for the first three months out of the year instead of the first five, six. So I think that's why it's just, you have to decide you're going to do it. It's not really that much effort. It's just deciding you're going to do it and then getting the right people in place to quarterback it for you where you're not quarterbacking it. I think it's worth bringing up mindset because mm -hmm. I can easily look at what you do for a living and see it as an expense. But at the end of the mm. day, I would assume that your customers and the customers that you work with on an ongoing basis, they don't see you as an expense, right? They see you as a way to make more money, yeah. not spend more money, right? Yeah. Honestly, that's what accounting should be as a function in your business. And that was one of the founding principles I had for my firm was I want every client I work with 
for me to be a profit center for them. Because if I'm not making them money, they're not the right client for me because I'm not able to use my skills to actually make their business better by increasing their cash flow. So that's not a good use of my ability, right? It's like your general practitioner putting on band-aids, right? It's like, no, I want to be healing people. And I think for a lot of business owners, they get in that mindset of like, oh, bookkeeping is expensive, so I'm going to do it myself. And really, especially with the tax planning, it's a return on investment. So if you invest in it and you work with somebody who knows what they're doing, it's going to be a profit center for your business without you actually having to do very much because it's just a matter of finding the right person and having the conversations and having the relationship. And that's, you know, I always say it's if you haven't found that person yet, take some time and find them because it will make a really big difference. It's an industry podcast, and at the end of every episode, I like to give the guest an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. You've worked with so many restaurant owners and operators out there. For those that haven't had an opportunity to work with you, what advice or words of encouragement do you have for them? I would say my biggest piece of advice for them is if you have not pursued, as a restaurant owner, if you have not pursued the employee retention credit, you need to really block out two hours to getting that done and getting the analysis done for your company. I'm a CPA firm who works for other CPA firms. So we work really nicely with other tax professionals, but I'd say go back to your tax professional, see if they can handle it, see if they seem competent with it. And if they can't, you'll want to reach out to a specialty firm to get it done. Because I think dollar for dollar, that's the biggest ROI activity that any restaurant owner can do right now if you haven't taken advantage of the program, because it's based on headcount. If you have a decent sized headcount, it could be a really big shot in the arm of cash for your business. That's Catherine Tyndall. To find out how much you stand to earn from this tax credit, visit dominiones.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.